0: Ah and we are live. Welcome back to Takes By Fans. We got a great show for you today. As always, we are live every single day at noon Eastern. If you want to watch live, head over to twitch.tv slash takes by fans. If you want to watch but not live, head over to our YouTube channel, Takes by Fans. We post all of our shows and clips of the show there on a daily basis. And if you just want to listen, we are on podcasting apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. So However, you want to watch it. Listen, we've got you covered in multiple ways. All righty, today's a big old Tuesday. Is tonight the last day of NBA basketball for the entire season? Potentially, Bucks up three-two, Game Six in Milwaukee tonight, nine o'clock Eastern. They win. The Bucks are champions. And our initial prediction at the start of the playoffs was. The Bucks, folks. We chose the Bucks to win it. We had it Bucks in six over the Jazz, and we had the Suns beat, or the Jazz beating the Suns in the Western Conference Finals, and I believe six or seven games. So, our, you know, initial prediction of Giannis getting his rank could potentially come true tonight, folks. And not a lot of people had the bucks like we did, but y'all know, y'all don't give us the credit that we deserve, whatever, we don't care. Uh, but, uh, so we'll break down that show, we'll see what the spread is. We finally hit um, a bet. I don't think we hit anything in the Eastern and Western Conference Finals, we didn't hit anything, games 1 through 4, um, but game 5 was the magical night where we finally hit and we're ready to kind of go back to back and end the season on a big all high note. So, we'll see what the spread is and see if we can kind of uh, take find the value. Find the value. Y'all know we love finding value here. Um, so, we'll break down the game and see what we can get. Um, we probably won't get to the NFC Championship Game 2016 Packers-Falcons to judge Aaron Rodgers because we do have a lot to get to today. A lot of good stories to talk about. So, let's just jump right into it. With the first one and this one. Oof. Oof. Oof, we know training camp is coming and we always have, you know, a real bad injury in training camp taking away a star player, usually one, possibly two. It's truly unfortunate and we kind of have our first victim of, you know, early or late season late off-season injury unfortunate so here it is rams running back cam acres oof suffered a torn Achilles while training. Oh, man. It wasn't even the official training camp. That starts next week. He was just working out on his own, getting right to be right for training camp, and the man tore his Achilles. That is over for the year. Done. No, no question. Not, oh, maybe he can come back, you know, late in the season, week 13, 14. Maybe he can play in the playoffs. It's done. A full year. Cam Akers in the Rams are Definitely going to be missing him, and this is definitely going to affect the Rams. I mean, they were set on having Cam Akers be their running back number one. He was their running back number one in the depth chart. Um, he he was a rookie last season and really kind of exploded onto the scene. We look at his stats: only 625 rushing yards, but he only started five games. In those kind of uh, three of the last four games of the season, he started. He probably would have started all four games, but he missed uh, week uh, week 16. Um, Game 15, week 16. So he missed that game, but he started the end of the season. So they were expecting this man to be the running back number one. So you lose your running back, never great. We had this Rams team going to the Super Bowl, and it's definitely going to make you know um, Matthew Stafford's job a little bit tougher because you're not going to be able to 100% rely on that running game like you thought you were going to be able to do during the season. And now Matt Stafford's going to have to step up a little bit. And now when we kind of talk about a replacement, um, who's their running back number two? Well, they still have Daryl Henderson. And he was basically the starter for the entire year last season um, until Cam Akers really just kind of took over the starting role. They were still kind of splitting carries in the backfield, which is still good. We see Daryl Henderson. He's going into his third season, and he only had 624 yards last season. So 625 yards for Cam Akers and 624 yards for Daryl Henderson last season. So truly splitting carries in basically basically ran for the same amount. So, Daryl Henderson is probably going to slide back to running back number one, but then what do we do for running back number two? We just talked about yesterday on the show, we were talking about those top 100 free agents still available. Le'Veon Bell, Adrian Peterson saying he's ready to go and ready to work, and then we have uh, Todd Gurley still. Can he get back to work? Can he get back into his kind of prime before the arthritis set in in his knees? We saw him in Atlanta last season, not that great. he got his start with the Rams. Does he return home? He's already a little familiar. Definitely they want to make the transition for Matt Stafford a little bit easier. And if you bring in a veteran that knows this RAM system, knows Sean McVay, knows all of this, maybe they go back to Todd Gurley. It'd be real interesting to see what they do here for their running back number two. Uh, now that you know Cam Akers is gone and Daryl Henderson had to slide back up to running back number one because Daryl Henderson would have been a great running back number two. That'd be fine. 600 yards splitting carries with Cam Akers. We could rely on that. But you just lost a little bit of depth and depth is truly needed in the NFL as we know you know injuries truly you know they they get s- They happen, you know, throughout the entire season. Um, Before training camp hits, at training camp, early in the season, late in the season, mid season. Injuries happen all the time, so you are going to have to try and shore up that depth a little bit. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Rams, do they go out and just get one of those three running backs in free agency that we just mentioned, or do they just kind of hold on what they got? Because uh, they're kind of numbers two, three, and four here, nothing great. Their number two is Xavier Jones, who has never ran in this league before, going into a second season okay never great raymond uh calais what has he got um has never ran he's a rookie this season so they don't have that depth that they need at the running back position so i do i would say the rams would kind of uh get on this um to see hey adrian peterson what do you got You you said you were feeling good you ready to rock you feeling good? You're going to be running back number two, but you could p- definitely potentially work your way up to running back number one in training camp if everything goes good. Oh, um, hey, Le'Veon Bell, I know you, know, you haven't had the best uh, reputation in the league the last couple of seasons, but you want to come give it a go with Matt Stafford and us? We know Le'Veon Bell could definitely be a running back number one here. And then the same thing with Todd Gurley. Hey, Todd, you want to come back to L.A.? Give it one more go? Come on, we need you this year. We're kind of, uh, you know... We're in this kind of do-or-die situation. We need you. You're familiar with the squad, the team, the schemes, all of that. The needs, are they going to hold up? You can be running back number two. We don't have to make you the workhorse running back. So I really would say the Rams would kind of go out and get one of those free agents as soon as possible. But we get this tweet right here from Peter Schrager of Fox Sports. Um, he announces it on Twitter. Acres news is a blow to the Rams offense and more importantly to the player. He is a great kid. And then he says this, one note I don't see the Rams panicking and rushing out to sign a veteran replacement in the coming days. I have the opposite opinion. I really think we all you know, we've been talking about this the entire offseason. This is a do or die season for Sean McVay. He cannot go into this season with, you know a solid runner, Chris Henderson. He's solid folks. I mean, we'll take that 625 yards, 624, excuse me me, Uh, 625 was Cam Akers, a little bit better, Uh, but we'll take that, you know, we love, you know, running back by committee, and if they were both getting, you know, 600 plus yards year one kind of together, we'll take that, Cam Akers was a rookie last year, Uh, Daryl Henderson going into his third year, so those are still solid numbers that we can build upon and still kind of, you know, get behind and root for and bet on and all that. But now that it's a sink or swim season, you need this running game to help out the passing game. You have to go out and get another veteran. Somebody that at least can run the ball, at least, you know, be that running back number two. And Le'Veon Bell, Adrian Peterson, Todd Gurley can all be great running back number twos in this league. I've got no kind of question or problems about that. So... Peter Stryger says they're not going to rush out and get a replacement. I really do think we would probably see a signing before this week ends. Get him into training camp. Make sure he's there week one, whoever they pick up in the free agent market, so that they're ready to rock. You cannot go into this must-win season with two running backs behind Daryl Henderson that have never rushed in this league. That is not going to work. That is not going to get it done. Truly unfortunate. So I truly think this Rams team is going to go out and sign somebody really – I, the soon I, I would I would say definitely before the weekends, I would say. Um I'm a little little uh not agreeing with Peter Schreger here. Uh, but before we move off of this I want to kind of see since the stats were so similar on what they did and we kind of know that Cam Akers was running back Number one going into the season I want to take a quick look at their highlights from last season just to see if we do see any real draft Differences between Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson. Can we buy Daryl Henderson as a running back one? Um, is this Cam Akers injury truly going to hurt the Rams overall? So let's just quickly see we've got both of their highlights up from last season So we can kind of compare the runners. How is one looking? How's the other looking? So let's start here with Cam Akers. We're not going to watch all six minutes. Each highlight package is six minutes. We'll go through this quickly. We just want to see what do we see on film? Yes, we could talk about stats and what's on paper and all that. But what are our eyes telling us which of these running backs is better for this team going forward? So here we go. Let's start here with Cam Akers highlights first. Let's see what we get. Here we go, week uh, week 5 against Washington. Washington gets stuffed at the line but then takes it for 8 yards after that, love that. Great job to stay on his feet, take the contact right to the line of scrimmage and able to kind of move forward. Here we go, hitting the holes, a nice move to make one man miss, another shift to go back inside. And then does he have breakaway speed? No, but he's real shifty, doesn't have breakaway speed, but he's real shifty to kind of get in and out, change directions very quickly and make defenders miss. So this is real great by Cam Akers. Just does not have that kind of take the top off the defense speed. He kind of got chased, chased down from behind a little bit. All right, here we go against the Dolphins. Just kind of a, a solid 10-yard run. Made somebody miss and then just kind of, you know, lowered his shoulder and got an extra kind of yard or two. Here we go. Out in kind of the swing pass. Ooh, making defenders miss. Oh, this man's got some moves. Look at these cuts, folks. Really making everybody miss out here on one-on-one situations. Love it. Cam Maker's the Shifty runner out here. All right, against the Seahawks. Once again, just following his blockers, going for 18 yards. Here we go in the red zone. What can he do? Out in the swing pass, bingo, bingo, catches the ball, goes across over the goal line. That's a touchdown passing catch for Cam Akers. Let's look at those stats really quickly. These receiving stats. Cam Akers only 123 yards receiving last season and Daryl Henderson 159. So they are truly kind of same statistically on everything they do. So we this is why we have to use the eyes. The eye test to really kind of see which one we would prefer to have. Uh, Cam Akers here. Yes, sir. Hits the hole. And there he goes. Maybe he does have breakaway speed. Damn. if He put on the jets here against the 49ers rushing for about 50 yards clean. Look at that. Be- racing three defenders all the way down inside the 10-yard line. You love to see it. Woof. Cam Akers got some elite speed right there. That was great. That was way better than that Dolphin play here we go on the goal line right here just powers his way ahead for one yard for the touchdown fantastic against the cardinals from the 10-yard line yes sir look at that he's dragging these defenders first contact is at the five yard line and he just drags one defender the last five yards for the touchdown this man is fast shifty and strong we are loving it so far a truly big blow to this rams team folks all right here we go against the cardinals a little bit of a Running back screen, that seemed to be like a legal man downfield. <laughs> that should have been a penalty, jeez, Louise. These linemen are 10 yards downfield trying to set up a block. Woof, not great, but I don't think they called it. And that's Cam Akers on third and one, fantastic. Against the Cardinals again, real solid run there. Here we go, let's watch this Patriots one run right here. Bouncing out to the offsi- outside. One defender to beat, can he beat him on the sideline? It's good speed folks. Brought it within the 5 yard line. Here we go. Right up the middle following the blockers. Bingo bango. 12, 13 yards. We'll end it here. Last play. 2nd and 1. Just bouncing. Quick shifts. Gets 7, 8 yards for the first down. We'll get one more play. I want to see one more explosive big play to end on here. Here we go. Hitting the hole. Dragging defenders for 10 yards. This is fantastic by this man, folks. Here we go in the passing game, catching the ball on third and eighteen, and just coming one yard short, two yards short of that first down. Dang. Jared Goff hitting um just quickly on third and ten. He does not go down, folks. This man fights. If you got one defender on him, two defenders on him, three defenders on him, he is still trying to get every single yard he can, keeping those legs moving. And here we go, hitting the outside for about 15, 20 yards. This will be the final play we leave it on. Let's see what we get here. Nothing open, nothing open, waiting, 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 first and 10, and that's a first down for 10 yards. So a patient runner, waits for the holes to develop, solid in the passing game, has some nice quick spurts, some great in and out cuts, and can really make any defender miss while dragging and kind of running into multiple defenders. Cam Akers, man. This is going to be hard for Daryl Henderson to really beat out here. Cam, uh, this could be a real bad year for this Rams team not having... Uh, Not having Cam Akers. So now that we saw Cam Akers, let's see what we saw from Daryl Henderson. Was he a little bit better? Is there anything, you know, he did better anything he was doing worse? How is his speed? Is his speed better? Is his kind of you know physicality better? So here we go Daryl Henderson's 2020 highlights. Here we go first play up against this Eagles team and just staying on the outside Broke a tackle right there five yards solid nothing great. Here we go. In the pass game, a running back screen set up. Blockers are good. Daryl Henderson, a nice stiff arm, but ends up getting brought down for 10 yards. Hitting the hole right up the middle. There we go. Daryl Henderson. Oh, boy. He's got some solid speed, too. Ended up getting chased down from behind, but you know we'll give him a second chance to try to have that breakaway speed. Here we go, against the Eagles again, this is still week two, Daryl Henderson going right up the middle, not breaking as many tackles, really kind of going down on first contact. We saw Cam Akers, you know, still carry bodies. Here we go in the, oh my god, in the passing game, running a wheel route here, and this is good for about 30 yards, and then he catches it down to the two yard line, that's great. He might be a little bit of a better pass catcher. We didn't really see Cam New, uh, Cam Akers go down, you know, 10, 15 yards down the field. Everything was just kind of, you know, in the backfield. One, two yard kind of slant routes over the middle. We got Daryl Henderson running nice wheel routes that go kind of 20, 30 yards down the field, and he's catching the ball great there. That was great. Here we go on the goal line here against the Eagles. Gets hit in the backfield, keeps his leg mov- moving, and he's just able to cross the goal line for the touchdown. Against the Bills, right up the middle for 10 yards. Against the Bills again, right up the middle for about 15 yards. Against the Bills again, right up the middle again for 10, 13 yards. Yes, sir. Against the Bills again on third and one. Right up the middle, and there he goes. 10, 15 yards. Bingo. On the goal line against the Bills. Boom. Over the goal line. This man is slaughtering this Bills team. Damn. How many yards did he have against this Bills team? What week is this? Let's go back. We got week three. What was he doing in week three? He must have had... I think he had 100 yards on the ground here, folks. What do we got? Against Buffalo. 114 yards, folks. The man absolutely obliterated that Bills team. Damn. Woof. Very well done. 114 yards against the Bills. Love it. All right. Here we go against the Giants. Play action Pass. Throwing to Daryl Henderson in the backfield. What can he do? Makes a defender miss and powers his way for about a 15-yard gain. But once again, he's not really breaking a lot of tackles. Here we go on the running back screen against the Washington football team. Only gets us like seven yards. This man is in dragging defenders, breaking tackles, dragging defenders, you know, for an extra five-yard gain. There he was on the goal line right here. Here we go. Once again, kind of on a little bit of a wheel route. And, uh, you know, he's able to take it for the first down for an extra 10 yards. But the first hit brings him down. The first contact is always bringing this man down. Here we go. In the passing game, right over the middle of the field in a nice little kind of angle route. Daryl Henderson right up the middle. So no breakaway speed. Here we go. We'll end it here. 10-yard gain, first down, up the middle. Here we go against the 49ers. Solid blocking, 10 yards, which is great in the NFL. Getting 10 yards a run is great here, but we're not seeing the same kind of great moves and finesse that we saw from Cam Akers. So definitely Cam Akers was definitely the right choice to be running back number one. Look at this man get tripped up here. He's still able to kind of take it for an extra three, four yards, but ultimately ultimately, he's not breaking those tackles. So I think the Rams are truly going to miss kind of you know having Cam Akers as running back number one. He was going into his kind of you know, second year to really kind of prove that he was going to be this kind of A1, tier one running back in the league, but the Achilles injury holds them back a year, and I definitely see this Rams team going to get a replacement because Daryl Henderson was good, but like we said, everybody else does not have experience. You have to go and get a veteran. This is a do-or-die year, and I don't think of what we saw, Daryl Henderson was really the guy to go out and do it. Cam Akers was way- making way better plays, way more explosive plays than we saw from Daryl Henderson, so we'll see what the Rams do, but uh, early, early losses, early injuries They happen, folks, and it's truly unfortunate, and this is just the first one. We know more are coming. We hope we don't see any more, but we know more are coming from just, you know, history. (laughs) Yeah, We get this, you know, every year, oh, we're not having this big name, injured in training camp. It's unfortunate. It's the name of the game, unfortunately. Next minute up mentality, and let's see what the Rams do in that regard. All right, let's go to the other kind of big story today. The uh, Packers offered Aaron Rodgers a big old deal, and the man turned it down. So Aaron Rodgers declined a contract extension from the Packers that would have made him the NFL's highest-paid player, but there's also kind of rumors floating around that they would have made Aaron Rodgers the highest-paid player in NFL history, folks. So that would have been interesting. So, we get Aaron Rodgers. Now, this wasn't just, you know, today that they just offered him... You know, a deal today. This is Adam Schefter reporting that the Packers did offer him a big contract extension, a two year extension that would have locked him up for five solid years, five straight years. But Aaron Rodgers declined, folks. And we know this. This was never about the money for Aaron Rodgers. We've been knowing this. It's all about the respect. Now, we just don't know the full in depth details of how disrespected he feels he's being treated. The only kind of two circumstances that we truly know that Aaron Rodgers you know had a problem with and if these were the only two problems we don't we don't 100% agree that Aaron Rodgers should be making all this fuss and noise around the organization but what the uh, the disrespectful actions were one not uh, kicking the field goal on fourth down in the NFC championship game when they were in the red zone that was the first one or one of them the first one was that they drafted Jordan Love that was the only offensive drafty that they had in the last two years was his replacement. So those were the only two actions that we've been hearing, that we've heard that Aaron Rodgers has vocalized, that he feels disrespected by the Packers organization. Those were the only two folks. That's why we want to hear from Aaron Rodgers. We want to know the true in-depth disrespect that you have been feeling, because you know maybe we can get, you maybe we can agree with Aaron Rodgers. But if there, if those are the only two circumstances that we have, two evidence circumstances of Aaron Rodgers being disrespected by his organization, by his team, by his coach, by the owner. We don't think that's a real, real reason why he should be making this big of a fuss, demanding a trade, saying I'm not going to show up, and holding the team hostage. It's a little nonsensical. So that's why we want Aaron Rodgers to kind of spill the beans, but we know he doesn't. He's Turtle Rodgers. We know this, but it was never about the money. It's always about respect, and this, you know, just once again reaffirms it. You can make him the the highest-paid quarterback in NFL history, the highest-paid player in NFL history. It doesn't matter. He doesn't want to be there. He feels disrespected by you. But y'all can still go 13-3 and flounder in the NFC Championship game, so... That's where we're at with Aaron Rodgers, folks. I just don't get it. We know training camp is coming up there. Training camp starts Wednesday, next Wednesday. So we'll see if he shows up. We know he doesn't want the money. It's all about respect, and it's about legacy on why he may be uh, planning to play the season. So... um. Also, we get this kind of little nugget from Albert Breer on Twitter. Uh, He said he asked Packers general manager Brian Gutenkunsk, over draft weekend if he was willing to give Aaron Rodgers a big new contract he said quote yeah absolutely we've been working on it for quite a while i don't think that'd be something standing in the way so once again the packers were ready to pay this man um they've had no they they have no problems paying this man all this money giving him the money that he thinks he deserves that you know he actually does deserve he's a great just pure passer but overall he doesn't know how to get the wins and uh, the money was never the issue for the man so we don't know what the we, we the only re, the only we only know it's disrespect folks. That's it. That's it. And it's only those two two circumstances. I can't think of another um another disrespectful action that we've seen or that we're aware of or that we've heard about. It's just those two. So Aaron, tell us all of the disrespect. We want to know. We want to kind of be able to understand where you're coming from. But if it's only those two events we don't agree. We don't agree with you, Aaron Rodgers, making this big of a stink over it. Because they didn't get you help? Well more help do you need? You went 13-3. and You need to protect the defensive side of the ball. You're not on defense. What's so hard for Aaron Rodgers to understand about that? What else is being disrespectful? Can't think of any. Haven't seen any. So... Aaron Rodgers, it's not about the money, we've known this, we've been known this, this is kind of a non-story, we do know that training camp's coming up, so you gotta kind of, you know, rekindle all the excitement about Aaron Rodgers, is he coming, is he not, is he gonna hold out, when does he show, we don't know, so, I get it, but, it was never about the money, and Adam Schefter just comes with this tweet out of nowhere, saying that he declined the offer, so. That's where we're at with Aaron Rodgers. Still not about the money. Still about respect and being disrespected. We just don't know how in-depth that disrespect goes. Alrighty, let's uh, kind of have some updates on what we were talking about yesterday on the show. We were talking about... Free agents and Devin Melvin Ingram, the defensive end, going to visit the Steelers. Even though the, you know NFL.com wrote that you know the best fit for him would have been the Chiefs. Well, what do you know? He ends up signing with the Steelers yesterday. So the Steelers are signing former Chargers Pro Bowl defensive end Melvin Ingram to a deal, and the hope is that Ingram can be the replacement opposite of T.J. Watt. So once again, this Steelers defense is going to be very very solid. It was great last. Season, fell off at the back end of the season because of injuries everybody's healthy this year and they just once again beefed up their defensive line. Defensive edge rushers uh, pressuring the quarterback and now you have two elite ones Melvin Ingram and TJ Watt two great excellent pass rushers once again making it a little bit easier for Big Ben and the offense overall if the defense can you know force great field position for the offense. Big Ben doesn't have to go deep as often and Najee Harris can you know rile off a couple of 10 yard runs and they get the touchdowns within like two minutes of the drive. No problem so defense leaves the good offense and they got a good defense once again mounting here in Pittsburgh so we can still buy this Pittsburgh team a great landing here spot for Melvin Ingram and the Steelers the defense is going to be great but not only did they go out and get a defensive end they also got what we talked about yesterday on the show they went and kind of beefed up their line a little bit their offensive line we saw that you know they had four new offensive linemen coming in this year for the Steelers and we you know we're kind of seeing Well, we were kind of going to wait and see if the Steelers were going to get a free agent offensive lineman early in training camp. We said that would tell us that you know they're really not 100% sold on their line, or do they do it at the end of training camp just to make sure they have that kind of depth? You need depth. That's why we want the Rams to go out and get one of those three free agents that we've been talking about. But the Steelers went out and got uh, Chaz Green, in offensive tackle, before training camp. So once again, expect a lot of kind of you know um, rotations and a lot of experiment in training camp with this offensive line for the Steelers, just to kind of see which groups work well together with the tackles on the left side on the right side working on their counterpart with the guards on same thing left side and right side do we need to flip a guard do we need to flip a tackle do we need to just kind of bench this tackle because he doesn't work overall with the offensive line and what we want to do for the running game so, that's uh, one of our narratives that we are watching for the Steelers. We said, can Najee Harris, is Najee Harris going to be the real deal, and can the offensive line hold, and is Big Ben looking like Prime Big Ben? That's what we're looking for in the training camp. So, we're definitely going to be able to see that, at least with the offensive line, early on in training camp, since they went and got Chaz Green. Now, when we look at kind of, you know, the top 100, with uh, NFLTradeRumors.com listed as their top 100 and numbered them 1-100, to 100, we saw that uh, yesterday on the show that there was four offensive linemen all in the top 10. But Chaz Green, they had him ranked at uh, 80-something. Where was he at? Um, Chaz Green, 80, number 80. So did they get the best one, maybe the best fit overall? But still, it's still nice to have that depth in the offensive linemen Um on the offensive line, just to once again help Big Ben and help the running game. So, the Steelers team really can't have too many offensive linemen. That's really going to be the make it or break it for this year. Can the line protect Big Ben so he's not getting injured, not getting hurt, not getting knocked down? Because that's once again going to shorten Big Ben's overall lifespan this season if he's getting knocked down constantly, if he has to rely on his, you know, throwing arm. And then once again, Najee Harris, he's ready to kind of make instant production, huge instant production. Here for the Steelers team, but he needs a solid line, just a decent line to get him up into that second level where he can go and do his own thing of making everybody miss, getting the nice cuts in and out, and taking it to the house and taking the top off the defense. So, the Steelers two big signings that we can, you know, once again buy the Steelers team even more, bump this, you know, Steelers team up maybe five to ten credit points overall and how we're kind of um, overall grading all the teams and who we're putting a lot of stake into, who we're really kind of confident and ready to bet come week one. Bumped the Steelers up about 10 more points here off these two real great free agent signings yesterday. So the Steelers are still making moves, ready to get rocking and rolling when training camp starts for them. Later next week. Alrighty, let's move on to this, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he sees the opportunity in Washington as, quote, the best situation he's ever been in, okay, Ryan, maybe a couple subtle digs, a little kind of, you know, underlying jabs here to everybody else, because we know that this man has been basically to every single franchise in the NFL, because he's kind of this career backup, so before we go into this article and see what Ryan Fitzpatrick is saying, let's just kind of look at Ryan Fitzpatrick's over overall history on where he's been and what he's played for and what he's done because he says this is kind of you know the best team he's been with what's the quote uh the best the best situation he's been with so let's kind of look at the the seasons where he played like the majority of the games like more than 12 12 or more a full 16 game season we're not going to take the uh The years that, he, you know, he only played like eight games or anything like that. But let's see the seasons that he played. Basically, the entire season was the main man out there. And let's see what the overall team was looking like. Because calling the Washington the best fit, you just played with the Dolphins a couple, you know, the last two seasons with a good defense, not the best offense. Uh, You played with the Bills. uh, You played with the Jets. So let's see what uh, these teams were looking like. So let's go back to uh, 2008. He ended up playing 12 games. Uh, went four seven and one unfortunately not the best record out there, but who was on this Bengals team anybody good? Offensively, we had Cedric Benson running back 747 never the greatest runner um, Wide receivers they had uh, TJ Houshmandzadeh, real solid and then Chad Johnson once again real solid, but that was really it Defensive wise, what do they got? Mm, Jonathan Joseph Leon Hall that's really it. So yeah, that Bengals team was really nothing great in 2008. Let's take um, the 2011 and 2012 Bills, folks. Both, he was the starter there for the two seasons, played 16 games, and wins 6-10 and 10 every year for that two-year stretch. So let's see what the Bills team was looking like in 2011. Their head coach was Chan Gailey. That's absolutely trash. <laughs> that man is so that man can't coach, folks. He's not a good coach. He's not a good offense coordinator. I don't know why. He, he only does six and ten. He <laughs> six and ten and eight and eight. That's the man's legacy in the NFL. Nothing ever great. So, the coach right off the rich, right off the rich, right off the rip was trash. There. Uh, what do we have weapons-wise offensively? They had Fred Jackson. He rushed for 934 yards that year. C.J. Spiller as well. 561 yards. It's a pretty good, solid running back by committee. They had Steve Johnson, 1,000 yards, and that was really it. They only had really one good wide receiver. They had Donald Jones as their wide receiver, too, who only caught 200 yards. Defensive wise what do we got? Anything good? Terrence McGee. Jarius Bird. That's really it. (laughs) That was really it. So once again, not the greatest Bills team leading them to 6-10. What about the next year? Did they kind of upgrade their team the following year? Chan Gailey was still the head coach. Surely unfortunate. 6-10 again. Uh, They have C.J. Spiller still. No Fred Jackson, but C.J. Spiller went for 1,200 yards. We had Steve Johnson once again for 1,000 yards. Once again, still no real great wide receiver too with Donald Jones only catching 443 yards. Tight ends, they had T.J. Graham and Scott Chandler. Scott Chandler caught it for 500 yards, solid. Defensive-wise, now we now we're talking defense. We got Mario Williams, Marcel Darius, Kyle Williams, very great off uh, defensive line. They had Aaron Williams, Stephon Gilmore. Finally, Jarius Byrd still, so real solid defense and a little bit of a better offense, but unfortunately, no upgrade in wins. Not the greatest. All right, what else do we get here? Then he plays a full 16-game season with the Jets in 2015. What was this Jets team looking like? They had Todd Bowles as their head coach. Was this Todd Bowles' first year with the Jets? Let's see. Yes it was his first year with the Jets first full year and they go 10 and six solid record unfortunately still missing the playoffs. let's see what this offensive uh, weapons was like. they had Chris Ivory as a running back rushing for a thousand yards. they had Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall as their wide receivers real solid both caught for a thousand plus yards Brandon Marshall with 1500 absolutely great there. tight end we had Jeff Cumberland and Kellen Davis that were absolutely garbage. None even caught for 100 yards. Defensively, well, they had the defensive-minded head coach. Now, for their defense, they had Muhammad Wilkinson, Leonard Williams, Sheldon Richardson, Demario Davis, Kelvin Price, Antonio Camardi, Daryl Rivas, uh, Kelvin Pryor. Oh, my God. That's that's an elite defense right there, folks. But once again, only, unfortunately, 10-6 and season, man. So that was uh, honestly that's the best team that we've seen. Brian um, Fitzpatrick have so far 2015 Jets. That's a real solid team, uh, a little underperforming, at 10 and six. Then the following year uh, with the Jets still uh, playing 11 games went three and eight in that span. Not the greatest. And then the last kind of full rain season was 2019 uh, with the Dolphins, and he went uh, five and eight. So once again, nothing great. But let's see what this Dolphins roster was looking like. We had Brian Flores, he uh, first-year head coach, so that's really great. He's a real solid one. All right, offensive pieces, we had Kellen Balazs, absolutely trash. That man can't play. Um, our wide receivers, Alan Hearns, not the greatest. Devontae Parker, he caught for 1,200 yards, real solid, but once again, not the most reliable. A lot of injuries. And then we had Preston Williams. And then our tight end, Durham Smith. So, once again, no real great weapons for Ryan Fitzpatrick to work with. Our defense was real solid. Uh, We had Davin Davin Godshaw, Christian Wilkins, Xavier Howard, Jerome Baker, uh, Nick Needham, Eric Rowe and Bobby McCain so real solid defense there but no real weapons for Ryan Fitzpatrick to work with so really the bar is not that high for Ryan Fitzpatrick to say that Washington is the best situation that he's ever been in the 2015 Jets I would probably say is the best overall team and once again he went 10 and 6 so what can we truly expect from this Washington team this season maybe maxing out at 10 and 6 but let's see what Ryan Fitzpatrick is saying in this article why does he say this is the best situation situation is it the pieces let's bring up um this Washington depth chart really quickly just so we have you know once again the uh all the pieces right names all of that so, he's working with Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick as their running backs, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Adam Humphreys as their weapons, wide receiver-wise, and then Logan Thomas def- um, as their tight end. And then their defense, so you know Chase Young, Jonathan Allen, uh, Kendall Fuller, Landon Collins. We'll see if Kareem Curl and William Jackson are solid this year. So the defense. I don't know if this defense, this Washington defense, was better than that Jets 2015 G- defense, folks. It's gonna be tough. But let's see what Ryan Fitzpatrick is saying now. Here, here we go. So, if you told the average NFL fan in the late 2000s that Ryan Fitzpatrick, the 250th overall pick of the 2005 draft, would still be in the NFL as a starting quarterback in 2021, you'd rightfully be treated with skepticism. Well, he's not the starting quarterback just quite yet. Let's relax. Taylor Heineke can potentially maybe maybe win the starting job here in training camp. I don't think it's kind of fair to give Ryan Fitzpatrick the starting job just quite yet here in Washington. I do think it is It is leaning more towards Ryan Fitzpatrick. I would say it's probably 60-40, maybe even 65-35 that Ryan Fitzpatrick wins a starting job just kind of going into training camp. But I'm not ready to kind of you know give him the starting role just quite yet. So NFL.com, slow your roll a little bit. Who wrote this article? Nick Shook. Slow your roll a little bit. This is an open quarterback competition. We know this. Those listening might have even run you out of the room, but fear not. Time traveling reader Fitzpatrick is the fact is in fact in the NFL in 2021 as a starter. I don't think so. he hasn't been named the starter, folks. We keep track of every story every single day. He has not been named the starter, folks. Re- Nick Shook, relax. Um, if he's not the starter come 20, uh, come week one, we're coming back to this article and calling out Nick shook. I've got no problem. I've got no problem doing that folks. All right, so he Fitzpatrick is in fact in the NFL in 2021 as a starter and he believes his position with Washington might be his bi- his most promising in years. quote, this is the best situation I've ever been in or the best situation that I've ever gone into as the guy. So is he? Why, why is everyone talking about like Ryan Fitzpatrick is already the automatic starting quarterback here? Has he been named? I haven't seen him be named. Ryan, Ryan Fitzpatrick is even saying, hey, I'm the guy. Oh, oh are you? Who said that? Because if you were just listening to Nick Shook, that's not a reliable source. I talked to Ron Rivera. Um, let's, let me take a quick Google here. Has there been an official announcement? June 3rd, Washington Post says (laughs) Washington has a clear starting quarterback. Do they? So nobody's really come out and said this. There's no news. June 11th, Ron Rivera says Washington football team will have open quarterback competition for the starting job. Why is everyone talking like it's Ryan Fitzpatrick? Give Taylor Heineke some respect. Give this man a chance. He went toe-to-toe with Brady. Give this man a chance. He at least deserves a chance. Don't write this man off. Ryan Fitzpatrick, maybe you're getting a little bit too big for your britches over there. We know that You know, a lot of the wide receivers for Washington were like, Whoa, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, we kind of like it. I get that. But until Ron Rivera says it, I'm not going to say it. So... A lot of uh, a lot of certainties being thrown around here in Washington. I'm not loving it. Dial it back, everybody. Dial it back. All right, but back to the quote here. Quote, I signed to be the starter in Houston. I signed to be the starter in Miami. So this is now the third team that I've signed to come in and be the starter for. Once again, slow your roll. Jeez, I just feel the way that I'm playing the last four years, kind of the progression of my career. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense that 17 years in, physically, I feel great. Mentally, emotionally, I'm in the right spot. I just think I am set up for success this year and really looking forward to it. So you are set up for decent success here. You do have decent weapons all around you. You've got some fast, speedy weapons. you got this the speed, you got the height and different weapons around the field so that's definitely going to help Ryan Fitzpatrick but once again, you know, him saying, you know, the way that I've been playing the last four years, it's still nothing great by Ryan Fitzpatrick, he is a backup he is a career kind of 500 backup we know this, 4-3 and last season, getting getting us out to a slow start, losing the first two games and then the miraculous, you know, Raiders win when you got the face mask and you just launched the bomb and it was a completion so we'll give you credit but once again these kind of circumstances of how he's winning the game, and how he's looking throughout the entire game, and a lot of interceptions, not the greatest completion percentage. I just can't buy Ryan Fitzpatrick as a whole. He is, you know, if he has to come in and fill in for one or two games midseason, I have a lot of faith in Ryan Fitzpatrick to go out and win those games. But if I have to rely on him to be the starter for 16 straight weeks, I don't buy into it. I don't think he's an overall winning quarterback in this league. He's not going to take you to the playoffs. On a solid team that has a solid defense, he gets you to 10-6, missing the playoffs. Unfortunate. That was his best year, folks. 2015, solid weapons, real great defense, and a defensive-minded head coach. And you go 10-6 with 59% completion percentage, real trash, 3,900 yards, which is real solid, 31 touchdowns and 15 interceptions, which one, which which is, once again, just real solid. It's nothing great. It's not bad. It's solid work out there. But it leads to a 10-6 season, not making the playoffs. Not tra- not great. So, Ryan Fitzpatrick saying, you know, he's a starter. Nick Shook saying that he's a starter. Slow your roll. Taylor Heineke, just kind of, you know, small sample size, but real solid. Went toe-to-toe with Brady, one possession away from beating Tom Brady, and then we don't get Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl. We could have thanked Taylor Heineke for that, folks. How crazy would that have been? So, I don't know, man. I don't buy Ryan Fitzpatrick. I just don't. Um, I've seen him play. I don't like the way he plays, right? I think his kind of fits magic, clouds everybody's judgment. Yes, those are great games to watch and look back on and, you know, kind of, you know, Watch and just you know have fun watching you know Ryan Fitzpatrick come from behind and make miraculous throws. But when we're betting, when we're rooting, when we're just trying to see what is good in this league, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzpatrick is just not good in this league, folks. I'm sorry to break it to y'all, but he's just not. We see his record, his career record, trash. And I know he's a career backup, so he's never having that full training camp as a starter and all that. But even when he did that with the Bills, that's what we're saying. It was kind of still not the greatest with it with the Jets, not the greatest out there his career record folks is 59 86 and 1 he even tied a game how do you do a tie you're the backup go out and win it or lose it don't tie the game what are we doing um well what else do we get here by ryan fitzpatrick here we go A Ron Rivera-led club can tend to have such a positive impact on a player, especially one like Fitzpatrick, who is now on his ninth team and has seen more than his fair share of struggling franchises in his career. That is true. Um, uh, Ron Rivera is probably the best head coach that Ryan Fitzpatrick has played for. That is probably true. Um, so once again, we could probably buy Ryan Fitzpatrick a little bit more than we than we initially do buy him just because he does have Ron Rivera. If anything, those experiences have taught Fitzpatrick to embrace any chance he gets moving forward both on and off his uh, both on and off the field quote. The other major point in my career when there was a transition, was after my year in 2016 with the Jets, which was miserable, and the first time in my life I hated football and just didn't want to play anymore. Leave it to the Jets, folks. Was uh, Yeah, the second year was um, Todd Bowles, too. Jeez, unfortunate. Since then, it's almost like I've been playing on borrowed time. The last four, I've really been able to enjoy. Hopefully, everybody has been able to see that for me on the field for some of the goofy stuff in the interviews. My personality has really come out in the last four. Uh, But the play is still not the greatest. Not what we want for a starting quarterback. Backup quarterback, like we said, backup quarterback, that's fine. Not a starting quarterback. Uh, Just take a look at his emergency insertions down the stretch of Miami's 2020 season. As Fitzpatrick will point out with his brand of humor, he wasn't on ice. He was just recharged, quote here by Ryan Fitzpatrick, quote, it was rested. It wasn't cold, it was fresh. I played in the Denver game, then I played in the Vegas game, all the while knowing that I felt good, the arm was rested, it was ready to go in both games, but especially in that Vegas game, I proved to myself that I could come out of the stands in five years and come and play in the NFL and be successful. So that was a win for me last year. So yeah, the arm was fresh. We know Ryan Fitzpatrick is 38. We know Big Ben is 39 having a little bit of arm issues. So that's another thing that, you know, Washington has to be careful of. If we start Ryan Fitzpatrick week one, how is the arm going to be looking week 16? He's 38. What if we have a real chance to, you know, make a deep playoff run but we can't with Ryan Fitzpatrick and then we have to go to Taylor Heineke who hasn't played this entire year and rely on him. How is that going to fare? So there is just kind of a standpoint where they just use Ryan Fitzpatrick as a pure backup this season just to kind of preserve that arm if they do need it. Taylor Heineke just not getting it done. They kind of, you know, remove him from the starting lineup week 8. Now you have Ryan Fitzpatrick take out those last 8 games and then if they do get into the playoffs, the arm is still a little fresh for Ryan Fitzpatrick to carry out a potential magic playoff run that we've seen Nick Foles do. So, I, I don't give Ryan Fitzpatrick the starting job, folks. I don't. Nick Shook is. He's not that coach. So, we'll see what Ron Rivera decides, but uh, can't get behind Ryan Fitzpatrick being the starting guy. I just don't. Um, now, back to the original question. Is this the best situation that he's ever been in? With the overall coach and the overall weapon and just the culture there in Washington, I would say, yeah, this is probably his best fit. Um, the 2015 Jets was probably best fit number two. Um, 2019 dolphins, maybe best fit number three. The 20, what was it? 2012 bills? 2015, 20 what? 20, uh, 2011, 2012 bills, maybe fourth best fit just because he had Chan Gailey. So, we'll see what Ryan Fitzpatrick does. Obviously, I'll root for the man. I'm not actively going against the man. It's just I know what I need to see for a winning team, and I don't know if Ryan Fitzpatrick is the guy. A lot of turnovers. Alrighty. Let's keep moving on here. and This is something that we've talked about a lot here on the folks, but once again, it's getting reiterated, and we'll get another perspective, and we'll see if it's kind of, once again, just something that we do buy into. Uh, So Russell Gage, wide receiver for the Falcons, says, Even without Julio Jones, Falcons have, quote, a lot of depth at the wide receiver position, which we absolutely know. Calvin Ridley's fantastic. Russell Gage is real solid, and then their tight ends of Hayden Hurst and newly acquired draftee Kyle Pitts. That's all we need to mother-loving. See, folks? Fantastic. So this man just went on Good Morning Football yesterday, and let's see what uh, Russell Gage is saying. So Gage noted that the entire whiteout room is deeper than most of the pu- than most of the public believes. We've been saying this, folks. We've been saying this. This Falcons team is not going to get hurt by not having Julio Jones. They're not. And now we have a solid offensive coordinator here, turned head coach. I think he's going to work out. Um, He was the offensive coordinator for the Titans the last two seasons. Now he's the head coach for the Falcons. And if that kind of, uh, you know, transition, that's why we like offensive-minded head coaches. Because the point of the game is to score the most points, not to hold the other team to less points than you. So that's why we do like offensive-minded head coaches. And that's why we think this Falcons team is truly going to take off. Dan Quinn, a little bit more of a defensive-minded head coach. That's why he's now with the Cowboys on their defensive coordinator. So we really think this Falcons team is going to be great. Um, couple that with um, you know great wide receivers. Couple that with Matt Ryan, who we do still believe is probably tier one quarterback in this league still. And pair that with the offensive core, offensive minded head coach that made Ryan Tannehill work. Um, so I would probably upgrade Matt Ryan over Ryan Tannehill. I'd probably say that. So let's see what uh, Russell Gage is saying here. Quote, we have a lot of depth at the wide receiver position. We've always had that. It's, it's just that it isn't just people like me or people like Calvin that you may know or already know about. We've got people like o- o- Olamadi, Zacchaeus." Christian Blake we've got depth all around the board that duo could come from any Combination of receivers that's one of the reasons why you shouldn't sleep on us alrighty Let's see what uh, these uh, other wide receivers are doing because we haven't really talked about uh, I don't even I can't even pronounce this one man's name. Apologize. Ola. Zacchaeus. Olamide Zaccheus. But uh, let's see what they're doing. Are they tall? Are they fast? Are they quick? Are they getting those yards? Let's see uh, what we got here for those two other two wide receivers. So here we go. Olamide Zacchius. Let me see if I can get a pronunciation on this name. See if I can uh, quickly get a pronunciation on the name. Not going to be able to do that. Unfortunate. Um, All right. So what did he do last season? 274 yards. He's going into his third season. And he's only 5'8". All right. So that's not hugely great. Um, never, you know, obviously when you're going behind Julio Jones and Kelvin Ridley, you're not going to be the main man out there. Um, so, you know, not a lot of yards, 360, 389 yards in the last two years, not getting a lot of burn. Okay. Uh, but the size is a little concerning. And then the other one he said was Christian Blake. All righty. what they got here. Christian Blake, 141 yards last season, 6'1", solid there. We do like that. He's going into his third season. But they also have Taji Sharp as well. Uh, Once again, real solid option in my opinion. Um, He's 6'4", absolutely love it. Did not play last season, unfortunate. Uh, But uh, could uh, try to do something here in... uh, in Atlanta, with the Tennessee Titans for three seasons, he had 500 yards, 300 yards, 300 yards. But once again, when you're kind of you know the third in rotation, you're not going to get a lot of burn. But if you're 6'4, I'll give you I'll give you some work, I'll give you some burn. Let's go get it done. So overall, this uh, Falcons team does have some solid depth here. Um, obviously, the two big ones: Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage, and then Russell Gage is uh, gushing over. Olamide, Zacchaeus, and Christian Blake while we are gushing over Tajay Sharp. 6-4. Get that man some catches. All right. Let's see uh, what else this man's got to say. Gage knows without Jones, there is more on his plate entering a contract year. Quote, moving forward, I always try to figure out what they want or what they want out of me for one. That's the best way, I think, to get and make the best successful team moving forward. Obviously, as I spoke earlier, Coach Arthur Smith has high expectations for all of us. He's told me he's impressed with me with what I've... What I'm able to do and the things I'm able to contribute to, obviously third down was a big role for me last year, and that's something that's not going to change. With Julio gone, there's gonna be, mo- uh, there's gonna be some of that load that needs to be put on me. It's not just me; it's the whole receiving staff. All of us are gonna have to help fill Julio because that's such a big shoe to fill. But moving forward, I understand that my role in stuff may increase, but my preparation, like I said, it's not going to change. The man wants all the the work, all the smoke he can get. Gage played all three of his professional seasons with Jones after being drafted in the sixth round out of LSU. The 25-year-old credits his improvements to learning under Julio. Quote, it was kind of sad. I learned so much from him. When I first arrived in Atlanta, I think I've learned more from him than in a few years than I learned in my whole career. Julio is such an impactor, such a huge playmaker. He's going to be a legend, probably going to be in the Hall of Fame. I couldn't learn more from anybody. He's a great person. I think he's elevated everyone's game, everyone around him, whether you're offense or defense. You watch the separation. You watch the way he prepares for the game, just everything. I'm extremely grateful to have played alongside somebody like that. It's something that's going to always stick with me. So once again, we could buy this Falcons team. Fantastic. Russell Gage knows this production is going to go up, and he's ready for it. Calvin Ridley knows his production is gonna go up and he's ready for it. Arthur Smith is already having big expectations on these guys. They do they are not kind of you know going to settle for a step back of what they did last season offensively. It's only step forwards and trying to get this Atlanta team back to the Super Bowl where hopefully if they do get back, they can kind of close it out. So this Falcons team is deep, folks, and according to Russell Gage, watch out for Olamide, Zacchaeus, and Christian Blake. We'll see if they got the goods to kind of keep up with these two superstars already of Kelvin Ridley and Russell, Russell Gage but they are they're also going to have to compete with touches from freaking Kyle Pitts because that man's going to be folks we can't talk more highly about that man. We can't. he's just absolutely fantastic. Alrighty, let's uh, keep moving on here now. We've got the training camp coming up at uh, this week like we know uh, but what it, I also kind of want to take a quick look at is that the at the joint practice schedules now teams Two teams usually practice together in the during the training camp when they kind of face each other during the preseason. Um, so the two teams will come together, get another look at kind of a different team, see what they can do differently, um, and just seeing what's working ahead of their preseason game. They usually don't face in the regular season as well, so they have no kind of problem, you know, sharing their secrets, sharing their kind of intel, and just kind of seeing what they can kind of do against real other teams, against kind of other skillful positions. Maybe your team lacks a great corner and your quarterback is just picking on that corner throughout practice, but then you go and join another team's practice as a better corner and then you get a better read of your quarterback based on what he's doing against another elite corner out there. So we had the joint practice schedule up here. So let's see, is there any Combination of teams that can learn from one another and maybe will get better just from their sheer learning aspect from the other team that they're jointly practicing in. Because guys are gonna talk, guys are gonna train. We saw all the kind of tight ends get together and not kind of hold anything back. They're letting each other pick their brain because they want the position to succeed, they want to see everybody get better, even though they'll be facing each other this season. They have no problems having their tight ends get a little bit better. So we're gonna have you know the kind same kind of of kind of uh mental standpoint at these joint practices trying to get everybody better trying to improve your game by kind of you know improving you know the wide receivers game the cornerback is going to try to you know have the wide receiver get better so the wide receiver in turn makes the cornerback better right that line of thinking is not crazy correct so, here we go. Joint practice schedule. We got the Rams with the Cowboys. Uh, Dan Quinn, you better be taking notes from the Rams defensive coordinator and what that Rams defense does. So, that could definitely help out the Cowboys a little bit. We get the Broncos and the Vikings. Eh, they're really not going to be able to learn anything <laughs> from each other, honestly. Uh, two really not great teams overall. Uh, you know, Broncos are still searching for their quarterback. We got the Dolphins and the Bears. Ooh, ooh, We get Justin Fields learning from Tua a little bit. I uh, love it. Tua's got something to offer, folks, the accuracy. Justin Fields, go work on your accuracy with uh, Tua, and you know, you'll know you be the week one starter in no time. We get the Panthers and the Colts. You're, the Colts aren't learning anything from the Panthers, from Matt Rule, from Sam Darnold, Frank Reich, and uh, Carson Wentz are fine. They don't need to learn anything from Matt. Matt Rule, maybe Matt Rule can maybe learn a little bit from Frank Reich on how to just be a good head coach, we'll see, we get the the Patriots and the Eagles, alrighty, Um, maybe Jalen Hurts can learn a little bit from Cam Newton, you know, Cam Newton's been a vet in this league, maybe pick his brain a little bit, Uh, Jalen Hurts a little bit of a dual threat quarterback, obviously not the same size as Cam Newton, Um, you know, Cam Newton 6'5", 250, big old beef out there. Um. So yeah, the, we'll we'll see what the Eagles do. Maybe Nick Sirianni learn a little bit from Bill Belichick and how to just run a team, run a practice. We'll see. We get the Falcons and the Dolphins. So the Falcons doing two different ones. Um, getting uh, getting a, getting familiar with the Bears before their preseason game, and getting familiar with the Falcons before their preseason game. Um. All right. So what can the Falcons learn? Um. Well, we got two tight end university participants here, Kyle Pitts and Mike Gesicki. So maybe they can kind of once again get in some work together. Um, Tua and Matt Ryan. We get uh, Arthur Smith with Brian Flores. Solid there. Uh, so really can't learn too much there. Uh, both have not good running backs, so the running backs can't even kind of you know get better there, unfortunately. We get the Ravens and the Panthers. Once again, the Ra- the Panthers, you're not learning anything from that team. It's a it's going to be a bad team. Um, They got Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> Learn how to stop him. That's what y'all need to look out for. Then we get the Rams in their second kind of joint practice, learning with the Raiders. Once again, John Gruden. Look at how Sean McVay works. Look at how a true coach works in this league because I'm not buying John Gruden. We get the Jets in the Packers and uh, Robert Sala. Um, you can definitely learn on how toxic a locker room and kind of team can be when you've got a disgruntled quarterback. So maybe try to treat Zach Wilson real special there with the Jets, and it's kind of seeming like that relationship's already out to a good start. Um, so that's going to be interesting there for the Packers and the Jets. We get the Titans in the Bucks, and this could be real good. This Titans defense needs to be A1, Tier 1, if this Titans team wants a chance to win the Super Bowl, and what better defense to learn from than the defending Super Bowl champions and Todd Bowles and the defense that is returning all of its starters. So, this Titans team maybe kind of takes some of those defensive schemes from the Bucks, and that could definitely help this Titans team overall so of all the matchups the joint practice kind of matchups that we talked about so far this Titans Bucks one I think it's the best for this Titans team Go out there, pick the brain, Ryan Tannehill, learn a little bit from Tom Brady. Obviously, that will never hurt, but truly, this Bucks defense is A1, Tier 1, probably the best defense going into this season, um, just overall roster-wise and coaching-wise. So, hopefully, this Titans team can learn a little bit now that we're knowing this Titans team is going a little bit through a little bit of a defensive rebuild. So, hopefully, they can learn a lot from this Bucs team. That's going to be huge for that Titans team. We get the the Giants and the Browns. All right, we get a nice little kind of running back summit there with Saquon Barkley and Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. That's going to be great. Um, Daniel Jones learning a little bit from Baker Mayfield, how to be a game manager and all that. Uh, We get the 49ers and the Chargers. Probably not learning too much from from each other. Um, Maybe the Chargers' new head coach can learn from Kyle Shanahan. Um, and how to win in the regular season in the playoffs, but don't get any advice in the Super Bowl. He blows the lead, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe Justin Herbert, um, you know, teaching um, Trey Lance a little bit. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be totally out of the conversation. Don't, don't take anything he says. Um, but, yeah, nothing too much to take away from there. We get the Jags and the Saints. Well, Urban Meyer, <laughs> Urban Meyer, you better, you better just be right behind Sean Payton. Whatever he does, learning and listening and seeing how to actually be a good head coach in this league, because we know Urban Meyer is not. Unfortunate. Um, yeah. Um uh, maybe uh the, the quarterbacks here, Trevor Lawrence and Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill could all kind of get together and learn a little bit. Um obviously they're all not the greatest or unproven at the quarterback position, but Jameis threw for five thousand yards. So I would I would learn a little bit from him and see how much uh his mentorship and just overall Jameis's leadership has changed under Drew Brees. So the main thing is just Urban Meyer learns from uh Sean Payton, really. Then we get the Eagles and the Jets. Yeah, Robert Sala and Nick Sirianni, new head coaches. Jalen Hurts, year two quarterback. Zach Wilson, year one quarterback. Nothing you can really learn from each other there. And then the final one, the Giants and the Patriots. Uh, The Giants head coach, Joe Judge, was the special teams coordinator for the Patriots. So you reunite. That's really all you're learning. So, the Titans, you have the best opportunity to learn from your other team. Please go out and do it because I do want to see Derrick Henry get a ring. And the only way he gets a ring is if the Titans' defense is a shutdown defense and allows, once again, Ryan Tannehill to be an above-average game manager and allows Derrick Henry just to go wild and run wild whenever he wants. So... Titans, learn from the best defense in the game here. Um, August 18th through the 19th. So, two days before their, um, or two, it's a two day joint practice before their preseason game. Titans defense, learn from the best, please. Alrighty, let's uh, quickly talk about this. We can go over these uh, last couple of stories quickly here um, since we're going a little late on the stories. But uh, here we go. Peyton and Eli Manning will headline a Monday Night Football mega cast on ESPN 2 and ESPN Plus for three seasons through the next three years. Um, ESPN will produce it in conjunction with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions. It is slated for ten games each season starting this year. So, We're kind of getting this uh, new transition into the NFL of just commentary-wise, of just kind of um, ex-players talking through the game. Obviously, you know, Tony Romo, kind of the front-runner here. He's the one that, you know, doesn't do the traditional analytic role will kind of predict plays tell you what he's seeing tell you what the quarterback should be seeing tell you what the play most likely is based on the formation and where the ball should be going all that and it's just good light-hearted fun I think it definitely adds an extra element um, we do have kind of Tony Romo as one of our top tier Analyst that we like to listen to usually we listen to every single game on mute But if it's a Tony Romo game, we will listen to his insight and all that and then really Joe Buck Just because he knows how to call a game and knows how to you know put great emphasis on big moments digs so, folks, I get I get chills even repeating it, even though I don't do it nearly as good of a job as, you know, Joe Buck did. But so those are the really big two there. But now we're starting to get a lot of people trying to capitalize on this market of just kind of just talking as the game progresses and all that. So that's this kind of next step here in that kind of production of watching football or watching just really any sporting event, getting a, you know, for getting a couple of people, whether ex players or celebrities or just personalities, and you know, you watch the game as they watch the game, and y'all watch the game, and you just kind of, you know, shoot the shit, you know, just seeing what you're seeing, bringing back, you know, your experiences and all that, tying shit together, and not just saying, well, this guy ran for five yards and this is what they're doing next and all that. So, we get um, Monday Night Football with Peyton Manning and Eli Manning. We'll see how their personalities go. We'll see, you know, are they good? Are they as good as Tony Romo in that aspect and all that? So, for the 2021 and 2022 and 2023 NFL seasons, they already signed a three-year deal. So, good for them. Uh, Ten games each season. Peyton and Eli will, from a remote location... Celebrities, including iconic and current players, will join. That's where I'm not um, the biggest fan of bringing in celebrities. Um, we'll see. I don't I don't really need that when I'm watching football. I don't even know if I need Peyton P- Manning and Eli Manning shooting the shit. I, I don't know if I need that. I'll probably check it out for one game, but I'll probably just go to the regular broadcast for the rest. But we'll we'll give it a chance to see what they can do. Uh, the new Monday Night Football megacast offering airs on ESPN2, potential distri- distribution across Disney properties, including ESPN+. complement traditional telecast on ESPN and or ABC each week. Steve Levy, Brian uh, Greasy, Louis Riddick lisa salters and john perry and it's production in conjunction produced in conjunction with Omaha productions and i also believe that i read is they're going to be alternating every week so one week is going to be pay manning one week is going to be eli the other week is paying they just keep alternating back and forth they're never really going to be there together um so we'll see how it goes tony romo's got the entire game shook changing the industry so you give tony romo his credit But we'll see if they make it good. I mean, if they're making it entertaining, making it worthwhile, giving us that great insight, we'll have no problem watching it. Uh, But uh, we'll see if they are good at that. All right, then we get this and we follow this just because it's real kind of weird the timing. This is supposed to be the Raiders year. Finally, you know, four years under John Gruden. Let's see what you're doing. Derek Carr stepping it up. Um, they've got the running back. They've got the wide receivers. The defense is real solid as well. This was supposed to be the year for the Raiders, but we just saw the running backs coach resign. and He's been in the league for 20 plus years coaching some of the greats that we've talked about. Real interesting that he decides to do it this year. Like we said, this is supposed to be their year. So why is everybody bailing out? And now the newest bailout is pretty big here. Raiders president, Mark Badain, resigns. You're resigning in a year where this is supposed to be it. This is supposed to be the year. You're supposed to win the Super Bowl this year. It's all supposed to come together this year. Your 10-year plan of signing John Gruden to a 10-year contract is finally going to be paying off this year. But everybody's jumping ship. Real interesting, the timing, right before training camp. Once again, why didn't you do this in the regular in, in the offseason, right after the season ended? That would have made a little bit more sense if you were truly planning on retiring. But maybe the running backs coach, maybe the president got a look at this team and was like, this isn't it. It's never going to be it. I'm jumping shit before this really just crashes and burns and sinks down into the bottom of the ocean. I'm getting out right before it. So once again, we want to buy this Raiders team. But everything that we're seeing is really kind of leaving bad taste in our mouth. Why are all these people resigning and retiring? So... Read into this as much as you want. We're trying not to read into this too much. I mean, I'm ready to jump ship. If everybody's jumping ship, you think me, a little fan that commentates on the sport, I'm gonna stay on the ship? No! I'm reading the the signs on the wall, the writing on the wall. I'm getting out. I'm jumping ship. I'm this close, folks. We're kind of out of a hundred, um, like like a hundred points that I would kind of put into rooting and betting and getting behind and cheering for this Raiders team, going into all these resignations and retirings, I was about 60 out of 100. But now I'm down to like 40 out of 100, folks, and I'm ready to be out of zero. Darren Waller will make me leave like 10% buying into this Raiders team. That's it. Maybe Derek Carr an extra 2 to 5%. So I'm maxed out at 15% if I truly jump ship. But if uh, so help us, gosh, if one more... Inside person here of the Raiders retires or resigns. We are 100% out and we'll be left with that 10 to 15% of just betting on Darren Waller and Derek Carr to get it done somehow. But I'm not liking that everybody is jumping ship. The president, folks. The president of the Raiders is jumping ship. The running backs coach that has a great running back by committee. Josh Jacobs is the running back one. Kenyon Drake is a solid great running back two. And he's jumping ship. Why? We got to ask why. We got to ask why. It's John Gruden. That's what we think. So, not looking good here for the Raiders, folks. Real bad signs here entering into training camp. This is not great. righty, let's uh, keep going here. Here we go. And we can kind of, you know, once again, we, we have to decide is Bill Belichick good? Is he a good head coach? The narrative, now that Tom Brady's not good and not having a good season last year, but we'll give him an extra season. Can we buy Bill Belichick? We get this little quote right here. Patrick Chung says telling Bill Belichick he was retiring was quote the hardest conversation I've had in a while and he said quote I felt like I was letting him down So, you know, we love we know people love playing for Bill Belichick We know people love playing for this Patriots organization even though all the kind of outside media noise is You know, there's no fun with the Patriots and it's all business and you know Yeah, you're winning rings, but you're not having fun So is it worth it and you know Bill Belichick gets on you yeah, and he's a strict head coach and you know, you still need to have fun in this league. And Bill Belichick is no fun. So why would you want to play for the Patriots? And is he a good head coach? Because Tom Brady won we year one without him. So was it all Brady? Was it Bill Belichick? So we get all of this, but once again, you know, that's kind of from the media perspective, from what their narratives that they push. But once again, we hear Cam Newton instantly year one, even though that he may have not been the starter this season or really may not have even been back. He was always praising Bill Belichick, saying that this man is truly the real deal. He knows what he's talking about. And you have to start respecting this man a lot more than what y'all have really been doing. And now we get Patrick Chung, who just retired. You know, we get that quote. So let's see what Patrick Chung was saying here about Bill Belichick. Let's see if we get a nice little insight on truly how it goes getting co- uh, coached by Billy Lee B. So longtime New England Patriot safety Patrick Chung retired back in March after sitting out of the 2020 season. After spending 10 years with Bill Belichick, Chung said recently that the hardest part of retiring might have been letting his coach know he wasn't returning. Quote, I just went and talked to Bill. That was probably the hardest conversation I've had in a while. I respect him. He respects me. It's more than player to coach with me and Bill. I felt like I was letting him down, but it was something I had to do for my family and me. Truly unfortunate, you know. Being, you know, retiring is never an easy decision. This is what you've been doing your entire life, and now your life has completely changed, and now you're left with this missing hole in you that you gotta get filled somehow. All right, so a second-round pick by Belichick in 2009. Chung spent, Chung spent all of one of his 11 years with the Patriots. We began season in Philly in 2013. The hard-hitting safety won three Super Bowls with the Patriots as a key chess piece in the secondary. Along with several Patriots players, Chung opted out of the 2020 season due to COVID-19 concerns. Chung said after missing the season, he woke up one spring morning and realized he was done with his NFL career. Part owner of the New England Patriots, free jacks of Major League Rugby, Chung will remain a fan of his former team. The 33-year-old said he was honored that second-year safety Kyle Duggar called to ask if he could wear Chung's number 23. Quote, that's a huge respect. A lot of people don't have to ask. If it's open, take it for him to call and ask when he didn't have to. I appreciated that. He asked me for the number, and I said, yeah, absolutely. I told him to take it over. I pray to God he's way better than I am because that's only going to help us as Patriots. Hopefully, he gets to that point. I hope he can. He's young. He's raw. He has those instincts. He has all the intangibles, so I'm praying for that. Uh, so that's all we get. I was kind of hoping for something a little bit better here about Billy B. But just that kind of level of respect and, you know, m- you know, hard to kind of say, hey, I'm leaving. Um, you know, hard to kind of go to your boss and be like, hey. It's been great, man, and I truly don't want to leave, but it's right for my family. It's right, you know, I feel like I'm letting you down, and just that level of respect, folks. So, everybody's still respecting Bill Belichick, and, you know, loves playing for him, and, you know, like we said, he kind of spent his entire career there in New England, just one season with Philly, but coming right back to New England, eh, people like playing. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's discipline. Yeah, it's not always fun, but you're winning, (laughs) and that will uh, make not fun days better at the end of the day when you're winning. So that's why you play the game, to win. That's why a lot of people play play the game, to win. And if you want to play the game, to win, you go to Bill Belichick because he knows how to win. He's done it for 20-plus years. So got to start respecting Billy B more, folks. This is a huge year for him to try to get back to his big legacy. Uh, You know, he drafts Mac Jones. You have Cam Newton for a second year. You could have done whatever you needed to to get the quarterback that you really think you can be successful with. And these are the two weapons, the two people, the two players that he's kind of doubling down with after Brady. So you got to get it done even regardless of how not great the quarterback or running backs or wide receivers or defense is overall. You still got to win games and prove that you can without having the greatest quarterback of all time on your team. All righty, let's save this for tomorrow. We can go a little bit in-depth. Well, we can go over. Let's just do it today. Um, Here we go. Broncos' quarterback battle between Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater could take all three preseason games. Ugh, ugh, ugh. This is probably going to be the closest quarterback battle that we have. Um, Obviously, we've got the one in Washington with Taylor Heineke and Ryan Fitzpatrick, even though Ryan Fitzpatrick is already kind of claiming that he's the starter. We got the one here in Denver. We have the one in Chicago with... uh, Justin Fields and Andy Dalton we have a little mini one with the 49ers with Jimmy G and uh, Trey Lance and that's really all of them I believe those little four but those other two are just kind of you know if the rookie pans out Um, those are all the open quarterback competitions yeah yep Those those are the four so we, uh, you know, we believe in Teddy Bridgewater, but uh, what I love about this that it could take all three seasons all three preseason games is that they are truly giving Teddy Bridgewater a chance here. They bring him in. Drew Locke has history, so he's kind of the easier choice to go to. Hey, he knows the system better. He's been here the last two years. He knows how he roll. The wide receivers are comfortable. They build in that kind of repertoire, that kind of rhythm with him. So we're just going to go with him. Um, but they're giving Teddy Bridgewater the entire training camp, the entire kind of three preseason games to kind of show what he can do. And for that, we absolutely love it because we think that Teddy Bridgewater is just clearly better hands down, than Drew Locke. But uh, let's see what we get here in this article. Anything good? So a week from today, the quarterback battle in Denver kicks off in earnest with when the Broncos report for training camp on July 27th. To this point, the Broncos' brass has simply laid the groundwork for the competition between Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. Before heading into summer break, Coach Vic Fangio, noted that it was much too early to make any assumptions about where the quarterbacks were at in the race for the starting gig. When training camp finally opens, the evaluation will be no holds barred. NFL Network's James Palmer noted Monday on NFL now that the Broncos believe just two to 3% of their quarterback assessments have taken place. Wow. That's it. Uh, During the OTAs and uh, mandatory minicamps. just two to 3%. Wow. The bulk of the, Evel is coming during camp practices in the preseason. Don't expect a quick decision from the Broncos brass either, quote by Palmer. This could go, to my understanding, through all three preseason games before they make a decision. That's where they stand right now when they look at both of these quarterbacks. So we kind of knew that this was, you know, going to be a lengthy process just because, you know, you've got Teddy Bridgewater that's proven that can decently get it done year one on a team with the Panthers. He's got better weapons here uh, with the Broncos than he did with the Panthers, even though the Panthers' weapons were still pretty solid overall. You've got Drew Locke, who's just kind of this mani- this maniac throwing the ball. It's never really accurate. It's never really needed. Um, you know, he takes too many deep shots. He kind of, you know, is a true gunslinger, he kind of plays like a Ryan Fitzpatrick, even though this man's kind of uh, trying to be a starter. You can't play football like Ryan Fitzpatrick if he's going to be a starter because Ryan Fitzpatrick just lets the ball fly around, um, doesn't really care if he's throwing picks because he's a career backup and knows that, hey, I'm just kind of a backup. I'm just trying to prove y'all that I can still play the game and hey I'm just gonna go out and make those big throws because hey I'm a backup I've got really nothing to prove I've got nothing to win over I'm a backup out here where Drew Locke is trying to be the starter and you know slinging the ball around like he does gets himself into a hole a little bit early interceptions lead to you know being down in the game and then it's just hard to come back from so we'll see folks July 27th we'll get a better inside on Teddy B. We've already seen some clips of Teddy Bridgewater throwing the ball excellently deep on the sideline, hitting some nice wide open passes. You love to see it. But now when training camp gets full going and you got a real great defense to go against and uh, it's real fe- real full speed and real time and against 12 players and all that trying to earn their role, trying to stop you from earning your role. We'll see how these two quarterbacks, uh, how they fare. But uh, I think we are uh, still big on Teddy B, and we'll see what Drew Locke can do here come the 27th. All righty, two more quick things to go over here. Here we go. Saquon Barkley, you want to keep tight lips, but now you're out at your camp uh, going against kids and try to lock down kids. But you won't tell us that you're ready to rock and you're out here, you know, guarding kids, trying to stop them from catching the ball, even though this man scored over you. Trash. Saquon Barkley is a trash defender. But, you know, you're having fun out here for your camp, but we can't get a little insight on the leg, on the, on the injury coming back from the rehab. You got no timetable, but you have enough time to go for a camp and entertain some kids? Really? Really? So... Saquon, we love you. We want you to be healthy. But you'd rather run a camp than tell us when you're coming back. Okay. Okay. I don't like it. I guess I'll live with it. Saquon Barkley likes the kids more than he likes takes by fans. I guess. All right. All right. And the last thing to go over, I don't want to kind of get too deep into this because we know this is... uh, forbidden to ever be talked about or discussed in an open and honest conversation. We know all this. Um, But I'm not a a big fan of the pressure, folks. There's a lot of pressure on it. If you don't do it, you're the devil. You're the worst thing to ever happen. And if you do it, you're the greatest thing. You're helping save the world. So, Michael Irvin rips the Cowboys for potentially missing the 85% vaccinated threshold. And that's kind of the big thing that teams are trying to achieve being 85% vaccinated. Uh, Just that's kind of what the NFL kind of holds as the standard for just kind of, all right, everything is good now. We can kind of, you know, have the entire season. The team will be fine. You know, the kind of herd immunity, herd vaccination. They really want kind of 85%. So the Cowboys aren't there just quite yet. And Michael Irvin kind of goes off. Here's some quotes. Quote, if you're not one of them teams, at least 85% vaccinated, Are you really thinking about winning a championship? So just because you don't get the vaccine, you don't think they really want to win the championship. And I get why they say that because you can, you know, get in the health and safety protocols, but you can also still do that while being vaccinated. So what's the deal? (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, so I hate all this pressure. If you want to get it, if you don't, don't. I, that's where I stand on it. Um, Obviously, I know that's not the mainstream viewpoint. <laughs> that's why we can't talk about this. Uh, and then he says this um, as well. Quote by Michael Irvin. Quote, somebody in the damn locker room should say, hey, man, we're going to have a chance. Are you vaccinated? This ain't the NBA. In this league, that could be it for you. The right person misses two weeks. That's it. Yeah, I guess. But... What are we doing? I mean, uh, people that get the vaccination are still coming out and saying that they're getting COVID. It just lessens the symptoms. That's what the vaccine does. That's what we all know it does. That's why I don't understand why everyone's having such a hard time wrapping their brain around that, you know, you can still catch it when you get vaccinated. We That was something you know from day one, that you knew from day one when the vaccines came out. They just lessen the symptoms. They don't hamper the spread of the COVID because you can still get it. And we know it's highly contagious. Even the Delta variant that's coming out is more contagious than the first one. Um, It's less lethal, which is obviously great. So I just don't love all this pressure. You know, we know we saw, we heard from some of the bills players kind of, you know, little hesitant on getting it. They don't fully feel like they truly need it. It doesn't have that high of a death rate um, on younger people. You can still get it, and it still does have bad effects. You know, we heard Jason Tatum and his athlete had to use an inhaler while coming off of, you know, recovering from COVID. So get the shot. Don't get the shot. I think it should be your decision. My body, my choice. We use that argument sometimes. Obviously can't apply it to everything for some reason. Uh, I just don't like the pressure that's going around, folks. That's all. Um, the people that do get the vaccines, you know, kind of uh, – Virtue signaling, saying that you know they're saving everybody, they're the best person in the world for saving the planet, so a thing that you can kind of you know get Twitter points for, which people like to do, so I guess we're, that's where we'll leave it, so we don't get taken off <laughs> taken off YouTube. Um, all right, so those were all the stories that we needed to cover for today. So, let's head over and talk about Game 6. NBA Finals tonight. Bucks up 3-2, baby. Yes, sir. Giannis going off. Chris Middleton having real great games. Drew Holiday having real great games. Pat Connleton having real great games. While Chris Paul and Devin Booker having real good games. But making a little... Bit of, little bit of boneheaded mistakes late in the games when the pressure is on the line. Is the pressure of the finals getting too much for Chris Paul, his first time in the finals? Uh, Devin Booker, his first time in the playoffs. Is the pressure getting to them a little bit? Giannis and Chris Middleton, they've been in the playoffs a little bit. They've had all the kind of expectations on them and under um, always coming up a little short. But it seems like they've gotten their shit together here in this playoff in this final series, so you give them credit. So let's uh, see what the line is. See who's in and out. See what's all good to go and have our official prediction for this game and see if we can go back to back on our hits. So here we go. Let's see what the line is. Let's get the line up on DraftKings. See what the line is. See how many we have to swallow for Milwaukee. They'll probably be favorites at home. We had them plus three and a half on the road for game five. Once again, it's not on the front page, so I don't know what they're doing, but here we go. All right, here we go. Suns, Bucks. Suns plus five, Bucks minus five. Everybody's good to go for the Suns. Everybody's good to go for the Bucks. Besides Thanastis on his Kumpo, he is still in the health and safety protocols because of COVID 19. How unfortunate. So, here we go. Who do we like tonight? Well, I think we just like instantly off the rip the Bucs because they are at home and we know they always rise to the occasion at home. They never falter at home. They've only lost one home game this entire playoff series. So, this Bucks team locks it up at home. Now, um, what did we see from the Bucs that we liked in game number six? Obviously, Giannis, you know, always clutching out the games. The great defensive plays, the great, you know, dunks on the offensive side of the board. In the final kind of two minutes to really kind of seal the game. So we love Giannis's clutchness, absolutely. Also, Drew Holiday's clutchness, he once again gets it done on the defensive end as well. Chris Middleton, not the clutchest player on the team, but, you know, gives us that kind of uplifting scoring lift that we need offensively. And still hits big shots down late with the final five minutes. But once it kind of gets into the final minute, we don't get the big clutchness by Chris Middleton. We also love Pat Conifton, folks. Getting 30 minutes a game out here, the great defense that he provides. He may be their best three point shooter. He just shot four of six from the three in game number five, so we absolutely loved that. Uh, so that's what we love about the Bucs. And at home, everything that we love gets kind of amplified times 10 just because they're so consistent at home. Chris Middleton's so much better at home than he is on the road, so expect him to have a real, break, real great game tonight. Now, Suns, back against the wall. Must win game. They lose. It's over. Bucks win the ring. They win. Goes to game seven. Back to Phoenix. And they have a chance. So, before we kind of get too much further into this discussion, I want to see how the Suns and Bucks fare in, for the Suns, a must win game. And for the Bucks, a true closeout game. So, let's quickly bring up. What the Suns were doing here, I don't think they ever really had their back up against the wall. They never found themselves down in a 3-2 hole, a 3-1 hole, a 3-0 hole, anything like that. But let's see if we can kind of get something that resembles that kind of situation where it was kind of a must-win game. So here we go. First series was against the Lakers. They ended up finding themselves down 2-1. Kind of a must-win game because if you go down 3-1, it's almost over from there. And then they rally off three straight wins. So when their back was against the wall against the Lakers, they go out and win by 8. They go out and win by Dirty, geez. And then they go out and win by 15 to really close it out. So, real great there. And they also won on the road against the Lakers team twice in the last three games to truly close out the series. So, we do know that this Suns team can decently step it up when they need to. But, like again, we have to take it into full account that the Lakers were missing, you know, Anthony Davis and LeBron James wasn't 100%. So, they were missing a lot of great pieces. Then, against the Nuggets, they ended up sweeping them. Um, So really kind of no back against the wall scenario there And then once again with the Clippers really no back against the wall They were up 2-0 then they were up 2-1 then they were up 3-1 beating the Clippers at home And then they were also able to beat the Clippers at home in game number Six when they were able to close out the series But when their back was decently against the wall the most that it was against the wall was down 3-2 they ended up winning and won big by 27 points against the Su- the Clippers at home so that's still a decent performance there Let's quickly see. Down 3-2. What did Chris Paul and Devin Booker do? Or up 3-2. I'm sorry. Uh, With Devin Booker, 22 points, 7 rebounds. He shot only 38%. That's not the best game. Chris Paul had the monster mammoth game. 41 points on 66% shooting. And, oh, my God, 7 of 8 from 3. What a night. Man, oh, man. So, it was Chris Paul, truly the one that stepped up big, big, big time. Jay Crowder also had a real solid game. 19 points on 5 of 9 from 3. DeAndre 16 points, 17 rebounds. So we, you know, if we're expecting anybody to kind of step up above and beyond, it's going to have to be Chris Paul to really get it done. Um, So a little concerning. We haven't really had the Clippers in the situation do or die game, and we'll see how they do. Now I want to see how the Bucks fare when they are in a closeout game. So let's get up there, playoff games Here we go. All right, first series against he obviously they were in a closeout game game four because they swept them and in game four They won by 17 Fantastic was that their biggest scoring margin. They won by two game uh, one They won by 34 game two. They won by Jeez, 29, Game 3, and then they ended up winning by 17, Game 4. So, once again, still always rising to the occasion, everybody having a great night and uh, in the closeout game. Then they go and face the Brooklyn Nets, and they really didn't even have a closeout game until Game 7 on the road, and then they got it done in overtime. Let's uh, see everybody stepping up here. Who stepped up big time in this closeout game? Can we get behind it? Chris Middleton, 23 points, 10 rebounds on 34% shooting. We had Giannis go for 40 and 13, fantastic. Drew Holiday, 13 points, 18 assists. Uh, Pat Conifton off the bench, he put up 9 points. Only bench player to score points, so fantastic there. So overall, this is some solid play there by the Bucs in a closeout road game against the Nets. Absolutely huge. Now against the Hawks, Um, a closeout game in game number 6, on the road, absolutely big time. And they won by a big margin, 11-point win there to close out that series. Stepping up to the occasion, not letting it go to a Game 7, closing it out 6, and they did it on the road. Now they're at home, so expect it to be even better. And like we said, we've we've kind of been... Comparing this Hawks and Suns team kind of the same and just kind of how the Bucks handled the series. They got down 0-2 against the Suns. They ended up getting down 0-1 against the Hawks, letting Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton beat them game one. Letting Capela and Trey Young beat them game one. But then able to just to kind of lock it up and be better ever since that game one in both these series. And now truly being the best team for the last five, six games, however many it goes. After kind of floundering in game number one of those series. So this Bucks team. Closeout game. On the road. Drew Holiday. 27 points. 9 assists. 9 rebounds. A great game. Chris Middleton. 32 points on 4 of 10 from the 3. And 45% overall. And Giannis did not play that game. So they were able to step up without Giannis. On the road in the closeout game. So that's going to be huge. And Chris Middleton goes for 32. So. This Bucks team has been in some closeout, must-closeout games against the Nets in the Hawks series. Suns have never been in this situation before. Down 3-2, a must-win game. Suns, Chris Paul has to show back up. He's had two bad games this series. Devin Booker is going to have to play the best. DeAndre Ayton is going to have to get it done. I mean, both teams played absolutely great. Game five, it's just the Suns blew it down late. And can we rely on Chris Paul? He's really been floundering late in the games, folks. It's unfortunate. Same thing with Devin Booker. Unfortunate, floundering late in the games, and that's what we can't have from our superstars. Um, Chris Middleton is a little you know, hit and miss from down late, but then Giannis and Drew Holiday have never had bad games in the final one minute of these games in the finals. So Bucks are a little bit more dependable. They're at home. We know they're absolutely fantastic at home. All the pressure is on the Suns here. How is Chris Paul going to respond? Does he flounder? How does Devin Booker respond? Young Devin Booker. How does young DeAndre Ayton respond? Can Jay Crowder have a solid game? Probably and just how can the bench play? How can Cameron Payne? How can Cameron Johnson, uh, you know Put this team over the edge scoring wise because they're definitely gonna need it because we know Chris Middleton scores the ball very well at home so Bucks minus five Suns minus Suns plus five I'm gonna take the bucks minus five tonight. They close out they win the 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 sustainability that this Bucks team has, like we said, they never ride the highest uh, highs, they get down 0-2, they get down 0-1, they get down 15 in the first quarter it doesn't matter, they stay the course the Suns, if things start to go a little wrong they need that kind of big spark to bring them back in, they need that big three that they had by Chris Paul uh, to kind of uplift them they needed that, once again, big three by Devin Booker to once again uplift them to close the lead down from like four points to two points to a one point game they need that spark this Suns team gets you know this Bucks team gets down 15 they just stay the course Giannis is still going to go inside Giannis is still going to get fouled Giannis is still going to hit the uh miss some free throws it doesn't matter they will stay the course and then they will build the momentum and get the lead back and build on the lead and take like a 15 point deficit deficit and turn it into a 10 point lead that's what this Bucks team does you couple that while being at home. You couple that while Giannis just being absolutely fantastic here, never having a bad game. You take it with Drew Holiday that's blocking it up defensively. You're taking it with uh, you know Chris Middleton that's putting up like 30 points every single game here. You absolutely love it. You take it with Pat Connaughton getting it absolutely done off the bench here for this Bucks team. Bucks minus five. They close it out at home, and the Bucks are NBA champions tonight, folks. Alrighty, so that is going to do it for us tonight folks. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening Go make some money with that bucks minus five tonight uh, Before we end the show was there anything breaking breaking news? Where are we at? Does not appear so So we're back tomorrow breaking down game six and potentially the final game Potentially the final game of the NBA season. And if that happens, um, we will start our in-depth football review, getting us ready for the start of the NFL season. We will start that not tomorrow, since we'd have to break down the game, but the day after. What is that, Thursday? And if not, then we'll have to wait till after Game 7. So, thanks for taking... Thanks for watching. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for just being here. Thank you. We appreciate you. So, We'll see you tomorrow, folks, live noon Eastern, and uh, we will see you. We will see you, and we will see you.